Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 619 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. It has only taken me 619 shows, and I've been waiting for this show because on this episode, I get to wish Zach Sharp, the marketing director at Stern Pinball, a very, very happy 40th birthday on Wednesday, October 6th. And Zach, I know you listen. I know you steal my incredible ideas, and I know you implement them, and I'm here to tell you, $10,499, that's not the ceiling for a Stern LE. We can easily get this to $15,000 by the time you're 41, but happy 40th, brother. We really are very happy that you're over at Stern, and you've made incredible moves that are silent, right? You don't really hear from him that much, but like I always say, Stern Pinball and the people over there they make the really difficult seem very easy. So happy birthday, Zach. We wish you many, many happy and healthy more. Now, speaking of happy, I was very happy that Mr. David Fix, the director of operations over at American Pinball, joined Canada's Pinball Podcast. And I had a really great talk with Mr. Fix. And I think a lot of people out there, or some people out there, were expecting this to be somewhat of a contentious interview. Since David did come out and say some stuff about Canada, but it wasn't. And the reason why it wasn't is this. American Pinball is a company in transition. They're a company in which we have not seen the new team and what they're working on yet. David is very honest about his feelings on the other titles, but he didn't make those titles. And also American Pinball makes a quality game. And also this, the most important part is this. American Pinball has never ripped anyone off. They've never left anybody hanging. And in a world in which most new pinball companies end up losing people's money or making them wait forever and a day to get a game, I mean, there are still alien owners who don't have their games they paid for five years ago. There are still big Lebowski owners who still don't have their games from six years ago. There are people who ordered Raza who will never get a game from 11 years ago. So I would never indict a company that has always delivered a product to people who ordered it. A company that has consistently put games inside boxes. So I hope you enjoyed this interview with David Fix. I did. I think he did as well. I know he did as well. And we're going to hang out at Expo in just a couple of weeks. And for those of you out there who are in a pinball company and are afraid to talk to Canada, listen to this show Listen to this show and tell me it wouldn't be a great conversation for you to come on and share with my listeners, the number one pinball podcast in the world for a reason. Share with all of my listeners the vision of your company. I think it only benefits when people come on this show. And as David said, we're just grown adults talking about pinball. There's no drama. There's no hate. I'm very tired. I've been spending many hours to make sure the volume levels on this show are really good. And I think you're going to enjoy it. Without any further ado, Mr. David Fix from American Pinball. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am super excited to have our special guest, Mr. David Fix, Director of Operations for American Pinball. David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. It's good to be on the show. How are you? I'm doing good. We were just talking about my sleepless week with Killian and how kids take up your pinball funds for the year. So that's how I'm doing right now. But it's it's good to have you here. And I've been wanting to talk to American Pinball for a while. Obviously, I've had a lot of opinions about the company over the years. And David, the first thing I wanted to ask you, and, and everyone who's listening knows AP, they know who you are. First question, and no pun intended, 
When you walk through the door at AP on day one, what stuff did you feel like needed to be fixed immediately? Well, when I walked through the door on day one, there was not much to AP. It had to be rebuilt. So there was a lot of things that needed attention. And I was happy that uh, Makesh and I sat down and said, this is the vision. And we went with it. There were some things that needed to be addressed. First of all, we didn't have a mechanical engineer. We had software, but we had nobody for art direction. We had nobody for video uh, or animations. You walk in and say, okay, here's the pinball company, and uh, you're it, you know? Right. <laughs> but but we did have people. Now, listen, we had Josh Kugler, who was, you know, software, and we had Joe Walter um, as the game designer. And then we had, we had Ferret in software with Josh. That was about it. And uh, we had a team of people on the floor building games. One thing that was evident, the Houdini line was dark. The Oktoberfest line was kind of like non-existent. And Hot Wheels was just rolling along. I'm happy to say that Oktoberfest, Houdini, and Hot Wheels right now are all scheduled to be run. We are on back order on all three games. And uh, we're moving along. Obviously, David, you walk in and there's three titles already in the portfolio. What did Mukesh say to you? Like, what was his ask of you in terms of the vision for AP moving forward? Well, he asked me what, he, what I thought of the games. And I said, we have to definitely address the games and make it enjoyable by the players. Three games is a, is a good backlog to start off with. But if you're not promoting it and not selling it, you, you know, you don't have it. Look at look at Stern. Look at how many games they have in their back catalog. Mm-hmm. They're still making uh, Batman, uh, still making Elvira. They're still making Iron Maidens. They're still making a bunch of these games. They're going to be going back into runs. So that kind of helps the company that you're not always waiting for the next game. Mm-hmm. You don't have to like, okay, we got to get the next game out to keep ourselves alive. Is the goal then to make games that stay within favor for years down the road so it's not that just short sales window and then on to the next, but something that we can sell for many, many years down the road? Any company would love to keep selling the games down the road. And I guess licensing kind of holds your hand at that because usually you only have a three-year window. So after three years, if you whatever you didn't pump out in that three years, you have to go back and get a reissue on the license. And then it's year by year. And then it usually is a lot more money. So the deal is try to get as many as you can out in that three years. You know, so there is there is some things that kind of hold you back. But yes, you definitely want to have something that continues to move games along. And so Mukesh asks you, what do you think of the games? Now, were you honest or did you have to start? Oh, yeah. Okay. And what did you think of, let's go game by game, Houdini. What are your thoughts? I, I basically said to him, I said, Houdini is a tough game. It's it's not a player-friendly game. It's the hardest game that you could possibly have out there. It needs to have a little help to it to get, get it to be more friendly for the player. I know I played Houdini. I love it. I'm, I'm a big theater magic fan i have always liked you know magic theme pins i've played pinball magic from capcom you know there there's a lot of games that i have i mean you know I w- at one point i was thinking about buying a magic girl you know so but when houdini came out i was like well i'll play it i played it at the show and i always felt like it just kind of stepped on my foot and said get lost you know that kind of right. thing so and then Oktoberfest, i kind of i got it i played the games i didn't understand what market they were trying to go at because Oktoberfest is kind of a different art package than I would have thought they would have done with that game. I'm German, so I've been to Oktoberfest many times uh, here in the States, and 
I just kind of rubbed my head about it. And right out of the bat, there was a problem with the game. You couldn't hit the barrel lock, which is the upper left ramp Mm -hmm. off the upper right flipper. You know, there's that magnet grab, and then you let it throw, and then you you lock in the barrel lock. And um, for the longest time, I said, you know, you guys have to fix this. And, and it was like crickets. Well, one thing, when I started AP, I kind of told everybody you have to fix this. And they said, oh, we did. We have a coil. We have this. And we have all this stuff that, you know, code that helps fix that lock. And I said, how long have you had it out? And they says, oh, about a year and a half. I says, I've owned the game. I have a game in location, and I've never been notified. So immediately we got on the ball and told all distributors and all the people who registered their games that there's a fix for the game to help them. And I think that was very well received by the public because we sent out a lot of coils and stops and we sent out a lot of stuff to help people who have Oktoberfest out there. You know, and it, it kind of helped the image of the company because here we're reaching out to people on a game that's been out already, what, two years and tell them, hey, you've been having problems. Here's the fix. If you haven't already fixed it, Here's how we can do this and help you. Right. The third title, Hot Wheels, which is their first licensed game. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, the difference between the licensed and the unlicensed games in, in the marketplace. So what were your thoughts on, on Hot Wheels? Um, Hot Wheels was a great game. Let's put it this way. When I played it, the marketing rollout on that game, not so hot. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, it hit the AMOA show in uh, Louisiana. And then literally two, three weeks later, we shut down the whole country because of COVID. And a lot of things got paused. And by the time they got the game on the line, there was some other problems. And when they got back from COVID, they started rolling through. And then they moved the location of the factory to another fact to the new location uh, where we have two game lines looking at a third. And there was that whole period where it was just not rolled out right, you know, mm-hmm. and uh but when I played the game, uh, I liked it. it. It reminded me of uh, like high-speed, getaway, good flow game, nice speed. It fit that genre. And uh, I, th- I was like, okay, what's this TV show? You know, I mean, I don't, I don't understand where they got all these, these video clips. These are cool. But then I, then I discovered the YouTube channel. And then it was kind of like, I was like, oh, this, is, this is a good game. It's, it's, it's a fun game. It, I, I've said this on other podcasts. If American Pinball would have brought out Hot Wheels as their very first game, then Oktoberfest, then Houdini, it would have been different because it's the progression. You know, the Hot Wheels was that game that kind of a you know easy game people know it. Houdini is that player's game, that game that really tough. And uh, I like to say that, and we have people who are buying these games, especially Houdini, that are high players in the in in the industry people who are playing in tournaments because they like this challenge of this game it's a tight game it's tough to play but they like playing it because it builds up their skills levels right and also i think david when you look at each of these games i mean houdini was packed with with mechs and toys and features and had probably one of the most dramatic incredible that milk can shot is still one of the coolest things i've seen in a pinball machine and oktoberfest was also loaded and Hot Wheels, you know, arguably, I've made fun of the fact that it was stripped down more. You know, there weren't loop-de-loops, there weren't jumps, there weren't car washes in it. And do you think that hurt Hot Wheels as well? It seemed a little bit like stuff was being taken out. And if you had started there, you would have been progressively adding more into the game. Well, here's, here's the nice thing, Chris. I'm just going to say it this way. Um, the game's not over, right? 
we continue to go back and look at our games, there are things called mods. <laughs> so we might do some mods for our games that people can buy that might increase the, the playability uh, or the, the coolness factor that uh, little wonderland under glass, as you like to call it. So you're saying, you're saying, David, we might one day, and again, this is, we're just talking hypothetical. There yeah, might yeah. be a loop-de-loop or something you could add physically to a game like Hot Wheels. Yeah, yeah, maybe a jump ramp. All right, well, that's great. I mean, I've always wondered why they only look at the code as things you could add because... The world can be added to. These are dioramas under the glass. And so that that is going to be really interesting. So we might see a sort of Hot Wheels Plus down the road maybe sometime in the future. Here's the thing. I've said this to the team and just know that, you know, I'm a collector at heart. I come from this industry. You know, I was first a collector. Then I repaired games. And then, you know, I was doing expo and then all this other stuff. And I've just been in the hobby for a bit. But I'm still a collector. I'm the kind of guy that has pinball machines, and I, I, I like them. But I don't want to be the guy who buys a machine, and then version 2 comes out, and my game is nothing now. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I've always explained to the team, if we do come out with something that increases the game or helps the game, it's going to be for all the back games, too. It's going to be a mod that can be done with Hot Wheels number 1, the Hot Wheels, whatever the number is. Right. And the same thing with Houdini. If we do something for Houdini, it's got to go all the way back to Houdini number one and be a mod to help all that and make it an option for all the collectors out there to upgrade their machines if they want to. If they don't, then they don't have to. But I don't want to be the kind of guy that says, okay, you can't have this black light on your game anymore. Or, you know, I want to make it available to everybody. No, it makes total sense. It's why I tell people they're they're never going to redo Ghostbusters and close the flipper gap. Stern could never do that because they would piss off all the original buyers of that game. This is different. This is adding stuff which the engineers could figure out solutions to enhance the gameplay, which I think is, is really interesting. David, let me ask you about being a collector. And you obviously... I'm assuming started your collection sometime in the 90s moving forward, or have you been collecting for longer than that? No, actually, um, 90, well, 96 was the first year I bought a machine, kind of. <laughs> it was It's a long story. I've, I think I've shared it in other podcasts. And then um, my wife and I, we, we were big pinball players in the 90s uh, when we got married. We did the married thing, right? We settled down. We were responsible. We didn't go out to bars. We didn't, you know, we had to pay bills. We, you know, we had an apartment and we had all these other expenditures. We're getting to know what it's like to live with each other. But about a year or two after that, we bought our first house. And then we were like, you know what? Let's let's go out to some of our favorite places. I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I found a pinball. And we we went out that night. We were playing it. And then I said, you know what? We, we, we cut the night short. And we said, let's, let's go back to our favorite haunts. Uh, we went back, and they were all gone. So I started buying machines then. It was maybe about six months later I got the bug. How much was a machine back then? So I'll tell you the first two machines I bought. I bought two machines right out of the bat. I bought the husband and wife. I bought Pinbot and the Bride of Pinbot. And I paid uh, 800 for Pinbot, and I paid 1200 for Bride of Pinbot. So wow. $2,000 got me two. Right now, everyone is saying you can't even get a topper in the marketplace today and you got the entire game and david what's interesting obviously prices are exploding oh big thing i want to talk about the modern collector what are your views on the modern collector the guy who's buying every le or collector's edition because you collected back then collecting was more about 
collecting them in your home because nobody really did. Now it's blown up into more of the limited version, you know, the the one of 500, the one of 1,000. What are your thoughts on modern pinball collecting? And is that something you want to weave into the marketing strategy for American pinball? It's an interesting question. So let me think about that for a second. Well, where it's going, I mean, listen, I'm still a collector. I mean, I sent you a picture, I think, last week when, you know, we were trying to get the show, get me on the show. And, it, and you know, my schedule's just been crazy because... I'm doing Expo and I'm doing American Pinball. And then I was at Chicago and I was able to play Godzilla. So I got to play the premium Godzilla and I got to play the pro Godzilla. And because I was at a trade show where it was at. And I, I will tell you that I looked at it and I was like, wow, I like the premium Godzilla. It, it was it played better. And uh, I think it's kind of that in the heart. People are going to buy, pay where they're going to put their money. Okay, If it's in a theme or a title that they really love, they're going to pay that money or they're going to wait and kind of broker it. You know, they'll sell off two of their machines to get that one machine or, you know, it's always been a hobby of buy low and sell high kind right. of thing. I mean, when I was got into the hobby, when um, Craigslist started up, it was like the wild, wild west. People had it on their phones. People were sitting there. They're making purchases in, in split seconds. Guys in towns were running over to somebody's house, paying cash for a pinball machine and, I'll tell you a funny story, Chris. I, I haven't shared this story that often, uh, but I had people that I dealt with, antique buyers, okay, back in the day. And I said, listen, if you find any pinball machines in, in your roundabouts, uh, just buy them and I'll pay them, pay them back for you. And I, and I gave them price tags. If you find a, an EM between 100 and 500, I'll just buy it. Mm -hmm. If anything, solid state, up to 1,000. Okay, just, just know that. So I got a phone call <laughs> Thursday. And it was one of my guys, and he goes, uh, hey, I, I bought you a pinball machine at uh, $400. And I said to him, I said, okay, I'm going into a meeting. Are you going to be around tomorrow, Friday? And I'll swing out and pick it up. And he said, yeah, that, that's, that's fine. So I go into the meeting, and it was one of these. I worked for a large financial company. It was a knockdown, drag out, end of quarter. You know, nobody's doing their job kind of thing. We're all, you know, everybody's job's on the line. You know, you know those, those kind of meetings that just feel like they're... Yeah. You walk out, you're like, ugh. And then I go to lunch, and then my phone explodes. And it's all my buddies in the West New York area, and they're saying the deal of the century just went down, and, and some lucky SOB got the best deal in town because a fun house from Williams hopped up uh, for $400 and was gone. And I was like, wow, who was that? That's amazing, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And literally, I forgot the guy called me. And then Monday morning, he calls me up and says, I thought you were coming over on Friday. I says, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot all about it. I said, w what did you buy me? He says, I bought you a fun house for $400. Wow. And I was like, uh, I, I walked into my boss's office. I have something I got to do this afternoon. I went right out to the bank, got 400 bucks, and went down with the truck, picked up the game, and I had a fun house for 400 bucks. You know, David, when people hear this story, and I've been saying it recently, I feel like there's no more deals. Do you feel like those days are over? No. No, I, I still am striking deals. You, you, you ha they're not Where? As Where do you find <laughs> They're not as plethora as they used to be, but, you know, you can still strike deals. Um, my buddy, Frankie, he's probably listening to this. He's going to be, like, beating me up. But he, he wandered around this whole summer during COVID, and he was picking up pins for anywhere between $500 and $1,500. And he was buying not the, the top of the lines, but he was buying some 
good games, games that I would have paid like eight, nine hundred, you know, like a meteor or, um, you know, a, a space shuttle or, you know, something along those lines. I mean, these were titles that could be picked up, but he was he was really working it hard. I mean, he was hitting like tons and tons of Craigslist uh, all over the place and being trying the first one to call the person saying, hey, you got that Paragon? You you, you want to sell it for $800 or $900? I, I have the money. I'll be there in about an hour. And, and, you know, and he literally got in the truck and just drove and then picked up the game. So it's, right. it's you just have to be kind of like, it's not the deals you can get in New York City, however. But Yeah. You, know. but you got to do work, right? I mean, most guys are just on the internet trying to find deals on Pinside and eBay and just nothing exists there. So David, let me ask you about the approach by most modern pinball companies to sort of drive that FOMO with the collector base, right? The fear of missing out. I've got to get the Godzilla on day one. I've got to get Iron Maiden day one or it's sold out. You're seeing this and you're seeing how these men are just throwing money. When the theme is right and the supply is limited, these games are selling out like overnight. Are you guys going to start to adopt that? And are you looking at this and saying, we need to jump on this train and, and find a way to create this kind of FOMO? Well, that's an interesting question because we, we have kind of done that uh, since the, since I've been there. One of the things we did was we are now having two versions of our games. We have a deluxe and we have a classic. And the classic will be standard run of the games. And uh, the next game we have coming out will be a uh, deluxe and a classic. Uh, the deluxe will be limited, and uh, when it's done, it's done. So order when you're ready. There's a couple different things going on with that because as a manufacturer, Chris, it's kind of interesting because you got to run the numbers, right? So you're thinking, all right, am I going to sell? Am I going to sell all these deluxes or or premiums, or am I going to sell all these LE models? I mean, I remember when um, the Transformers came out. And they had the three models, right? They had the, the Decepticon, the Autobots, and then they had the dual version, right? Mm-hmm. And those were the ones. That, and that was really tricky for them to do. And it was kind of the fear of missing out. And then it didn't work 100%. But now I can see it working even more because the collector base has grown. It's huge. I mean, well, and these guys now, David, are like buying oh, these yeah. pins sight unseen. Oh, yeah. I'm the kind of guy that like, and I've said this so many times. I don't buy a game off a theme. I I actually want to go play it. But you know that when you see these sales now, that that's not happening. I mean, nobody played Spooky's new games. Nobody's played Godzilla. Nobody played Mandalorian. So on some level, seeing this in the marketplace, are you saying to your team, look, we need to make these games like themes that people want. We also need to make them visually stunning that before anyone even flips the ball, they want to own it. Like, is there tap into some of that sort of just like, visceral reaction people have to seeing a game with never flipping it yeah you 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 know there, there are certain things that listen chris i mean i looked at godzilla and i was like i want to play that okay and, and i think any player can look at a game and say i want to play that okay I, I think of one of the other games that stern brought out and i was like not really <laughs> You know, but there's some things for everybody. Which, was it you know? was it Mandalorian or was it Led Zeppelin? Because it's got. I, I'm going to re. I'm going to hold off on okay. my. Criticism. However, I will tell you, I have played every pin that has been released except for uh, the one from Spooky. Except for Spooky. Raza. <laughs> yeah, Raza. Um, well. Yeah, no, I joke. Okay, so moving forward, American Pinball is going to have a classic and a deluxe edition. Let's talk about the future of AP because there's a lot of excitement. And I know I've been critical, but I've said that 
I always believe the quality of your machines is top notch. And that is a really important standard. You've got the quality, you've got the confidence in the product. Now, where do you go? Where do you go to create that demand? What kind of themes are you guys looking at? What's the future? So the future is, and let me thank you for about the, the product and the quality, but let me tell you, manufacturing is not an easy thing. And I give hats off to all the other guys. We all face challenges. We all have faced problems, our play fields or whatever. I mean, we've all had those problems. They are, they're dedicated to trying to help their customer at the end. So our goal is to be that company that is there to help everybody. We really, really want to be that company that's going to be on inside. We want to be the company that's on uh, other forums that return calls within an, within 20, 30 minutes or even pick up the phone and walk people through their problems to make sure that they're happy with their purchase. We got that solid. Now, we're building the core, okay? So think about it. You have a company that's kind of, I'll call it gutted at the beginning, has really good bones, okay? It's got a good good back catalog. It's got knows how to make the games, needs a vision. You know, the vision's coming together. Dennis is on board, Sophia, you know, Jack, and all these key players, Josh and, and Joe Schober, everybody is, is on board here, and we're now we have the vision. Now, let me get them the budget to kind of build these games. Let's build from the ground up. You can't like just go out and go, okay, we're gonna pay a million dollars for a license. You know, you can't do it. You got to be a little bit more budget conscious. But does that mean down the road we couldn't? No, who knows? It's it's possible. We're I mean, listen, we have. I hope, and we're looking at uh, a lot of, we are looking at a ton of um, licenses right now. It's interesting because when you look at these games and you look at the volume, clearly the, the big themes drive big volume. And at these prices now, and we'll talk price in a little bit because the prices keep going up, right? Now an right, LE right. from Jersey Jack is 11,000. A Stern LE is 10.5. It's crazy. These, are, these prices are 30, 40% more than they were just a few years ago. Clearly there's millions there if you can sell a few thousand. We've heard Joe Balser in the past say that the target for American Pinball was 1,000 games sold of the first few titles was their target. Um, not going to ask you for numbers because I know that's rude and no one's going to give them out anyway. But what is your target moving forward? Do you want to be a company that sells a few thousand a year? Can you make that many? Or do you want to make what you can without backlogging the manufacturing and getting multiple titles out a year? Because I think I heard you say too, you want to get at least two titles out a year. So how big do you want to be? Well, we want to be big in the market. You know, where the market's going to let us run, we're going to get into it. I will say that we have goals. You know, any company has to be profitable by how many machines they make, okay? So I have a goal for next year. I have the goal for the year after that. And where we're going for those goals are, are some nice numbers. I will just use this as an illustration. And, and I don't mean to throw all this history into you guys, but Gottlieb Pinball used to say making 3,000 games a year is kind of like the sweet spot. If you're making over 3,000 games a year, you are in the driver's seat, okay? And to start putting numbers together for uh, whatever it is, back catalog, forward catalog, whatever it is, is to have the, the, the factory doing that. Now, I'm, I'm happy to say we have two game lines, and we're cranking them out. They have not stopped since I've been there. We don't have delays to the point where we shut down the entire game line. We've been able to crank out X amount of games every week and fill orders, containers, 
and make sure that everybody's happy and continue to, to move along. In fact, we have now backlog, which is surprising to, you know, Mikesh and a few people that were at, uh, at American and saying, we've never had this problem, but now it's a nice problem to have, you know, so we're working at it. David, talk to me about the people that actually build these machines. How many workers do you have at AP? And are they temp workers? Are they full-time? Nope. Full-time. Okay. Full-time. I, I, can walk, I could walk you through them. Here's the nice thing. I'm the kind of guy who's always been hands-on. Every time I'm in Chicago, because I'm in Buffalo, every time I'm in Chicago, I walk the line and I talk to every worker. I know all of them by name. And uh, I just find out how they're all doing. We have people there that have been full-time. A couple of the guys were on there from Houdini when it was first manufactured. We have some people there from Stern. We have some people from other manufacturers that are there. And uh, they found a home. They're family. We treat them as family. We, we take care of them. And they're happy. You know, they're, they want to be there. And we're growing as a family, which is a great thing. I've been fortunate to work for companies that treat people like family. And bringing that mentality that we're all on the same team and that the president of the company wants to know when the, somebody's they're, they're getting married, okay? Or if somebody else is having a baby, you know, we let's chip in a card and get them something to Babies R Us or, or some kind of a, a nice little gift card to help them out. How many total employees does AP have right now? <sighs> let's see. I think we're about 50, 50. I think there's uh, 15 to 20 on the line right now. We're, we're bringing on some more. We're bringing on about another 10 people to the line to help out so and then we have the front office and then we have back lines that are working on um like sub-assemblies so we have a good amount of people in there now let's talk about what everybody wants me to ask is when do we think the next title from american pinball will surface when it's ready (laughs) (laughs) i I just uh, i know everybody's asking me when it when is it going to happen when is it going to happen is it going to happen here is it going to happen there listen this thing called covid first of all I want to say, that, and I'll just say this, that I feel sorry for all the families in the United States who have lost loved ones due to this pandemic. And it's been a real challenge for a lot of people. There's a lot of people who have lost their lives due to this pandemic. Everyone knows someone, everyone's been impacted. And so obviously there's supply shortages. Is that one of the issues, David, just getting parts to make the next game? Absolutely. It's kind of funny. I fight this little thing at American Pinball and I call it the firefighter. Okay, I feel like I have a fire extinguisher. And I run around, you know, there's chip shortages, there's there's other problems. Listen, I was I was at a, a trade show, I, I already told you, in Chicago, and Gary Stern was talking about how he's having chip shortages too. So it's not just me, it's other people. And look, uh, Stern usually has three titles out right. by now, right? and they have two out. So, But they have a back catalog, they're working it. There's a lot of other manufacturers who are also facing it. So when you jump in, and the first three months, you're like, okay, we got this, we got this, we got this great, we can get this done, we'll get these parts in, we can start shipping this out, we can move this on, and we'll work on the back catalog, we get those parts in, we could do this. And then your stuff's sitting. Uh, it's been delayed, shipping problems or whatever, and it's not one week, not two weeks, it's eight weeks. Well, how do you work with eight weeks? And I will say that one of the things American has done, really worked on, and, and this is one of the things I really wanted was, I wanted to have two suppliers, somebody that I could say, okay, he's making my parts maybe wherever, South America or, or wherever. But I also have a, I also have somebody here on the other side that I don't have to worry about a container getting stuck somewhere. You know what I'm saying? I can bring parts in from everybody. So we really started working on that. And it, it's not been an easy title to, to kind of do all that. But it, at the long run, 
is that I'm making sure up to these lines. So I have two ways of bringing in parts. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So let me ask broadly, do we think we'll see a new game this year? Yep, we're seeing a new game this year. Are we seeing two games this year? No. And you've said before, and I just want to clarify for a listener of the show, the next game is going to be one from the junior design team. It's not going to be Dennis's. And I'm assuming, I think you've mentioned it, it's an unlicensed theme, correct? Correct. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about that because I know that's one one of the things I talk a lot on this show is the power of theme, the power of nostalgia, the power of artwork, the power of putting something out there that people emotionally connect with. How do you market an original IP game today? So you, you market an original IP game based on the thoughts of what people want. Okay. What's the genre? Is it comedy? Is it action? Is it adversary? Is it uh, is it drama? You know, I'm not going out building um, a river run through it pinball machine where you, you're fishing. That just doesn't make right. sense. But building a game that's kind of like Black Knight, you know, an adversary game, or build a game that's uh, kind of funny, like an Attack from Mars. You, you can understand something, Chris. A license isn't something you just tack onto a game. If you tack a license onto a game, you end up with games like... Mandalorian. I no, I wouldn't say... Man- no, Mandalorian is designed <laughs> around that theme. Is I, it? I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking of games... Well, David, what's, what, what's the upper play field have to do with the show? I'm just going to ask you. Like, it's just it's just a rotating it, helmet? Anyway. It's a, it's a cool feature. You know, you, you want that little world on your glass. You want them to think outside of the box. He right. thought outside of the box. He gave you something. You know, it's. I wish that idea stayed outside the box. But the box. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah. What? Well, okay. So walk walk me through because I'm I'm really curious. Yeah. So you think about it. We, we we have to take a license, right? And then you work with a licensor. Now I will tell you that George Gomez and I have had this discussion, and a licensor is like a two edged sword. Okay. Yes, you get this awesome theme right but then you need the licensor to give you permission for the actors and the actresses and all this other stuff because due to contracts and so forth you might not get it all there's reasons that some games are are missing characters right so that's the two-edged sword and sometimes you're always waiting on the licensor and then you have this really cool idea you take it to the licensor and they go i don't get it i don't like it take that out of there can we change that to something else? Yeah, they have full control. They, you're at the mercy of them. Absolutely. And we're seeing that right now with, with Halloween. If you've seen what's been going on there with the movie clips, it's exactly your point is the license holder is only giving them so much and the expectations of the fans is much higher, it seems, than the assets they have. And it leads to some disappointment. I think Charlie can can work with them and he he will be continuing to work. And, you know, Charlie's a good guy. I've, I've known Charlie way back when we're men with half expos you know all those years back when he had a podcast and i remember watching the kids grow up listen i remember when bug was a kid you know i remember when he was like 12 give charlie time he'll work that out you know there was a game that was brought out years and years ago which it was a, a near and dear title to me and it was called the jetson i loved it but it was missing all the call outs there was no voice actors no characters in the entire game and it kind of was like uh, okay so that that starts with the licensing at the beginning yeah. you know so when you go to the licensor you gotta like say okay this is what i need these are all the extra things i need with it this is what we're going to pay oh you know you want a billion dollars okay then let's renegotiate and find out what we can figure out you know because everybody wants something and nothing's for free anymore let's talk pricing and unlicensed theme obviously we're seeing these prices skyrocket over the last few years how do you 
price your future games? Are you looking at the market seeing pretty much everything that's new in box getting consumed hand over fist? Are you going to be the deluxe edition? Are we? Are you guys going to be around ten grand? Are you guys oh, still? No, 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 no. No, we're not. We're not going to be raising the prices crazy. No, listen, we're going to try, and this is this is a mentality with Mikesh and I to kind of continue to keep the line on the pricing of our games. We're going to try to toe the line. If the if the price has to go up a little bit, we'll adjust it. And right now, I hate to say this, but we, we have a little surcharge on all our games. But every day and every week, I meet with the team trying to get us to the point where we can cut that surcharge off. I want to get back to the price tags where collectors and people who are getting into this industry want to be in there and it's not just you know chris i i I share this with other people but i'm going to share this with you the collectors is a strong group of people but there's this whole other group of people that aren't going to buy the games at ten thousand dollars and that's the coin operators and those are the guys who back in the 80s you was extravagant to have a pinball machine in your house right but and, and this leads me to a question I wanted to ask you: First game you ever played, and where was it? Uh, that's a you know it's a tough one because it must have been mid '90s at Nathan's Arcade on Central Avenue in uh, Yonkers, New York. And I remember, obviously, I was a more of an arcade fanatic. I mean, I loved arcades, um, but it most likely was probably like a Adams Family or a Twilight Zone. I don't remember because I didn't grow up into pinball. I was into much more like like mid 80s, early 90s arcade games. And I would play pinball as I was waiting for people to get off of like Street Fighter 2. And the reason why I got bit by the pinball bug, a lot of people probably grew up more into arcade games. I just love the randomness of it. And I, I love the fact that you can own a machine and every game is different. When I built my arcade, I put video games in it and Donkey Kong and Pac-Man and it gets old. And then mm-hmm. I put a Lord of the Rings pinball machine in my apartment and I always enjoyed playing it. And ever since I've just felt that pinball has stood the test of time because of that random chaos we love. Yep. I, I give you a hundred percent on that. And you know what? So I will tell you that as a young man, uh, my uncle, I don't know how he knew this. He had heard about a new game being released at a mall at the uh, Aladdin's castle in Erie PA. And uh, he he looks it up, and it's uh, a Black Knight. And he's like, oh, the Black Knight machine is there. And I'm like, what's the Black Knight machine? You know, for the first time, I, I didn't know what this machine was. And uh, we walked into the arcade, and we, we, we see the Black Knight, and it has a line, 50 cents a game, you know, that kind of thing. And it's just crazy. But I said to my uncle, I said, hey, can I play the Pac-Man? He says, no, 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 no. We have the Pac-Man at home on the video games. We had an Atari 2600 or you know whatever he had. He had the coolest stuff at the time. We play the unique games that you can't play at home. And then I said, okay. So I've always found pinball machines, and I was always playing them. And I was playing skee-ball machines and basketball machines and arcade machines that, you know, stuff that you couldn't get. You know, the um, the famous um, Chuck E. Cheese had that, was that the Beat the Marvelous, you know, guy with the arm wrestling game. You know, that was a kind of a cool game that I remember. Dave, let me ask you about the point you raised about operators versus home buyers, right? And because there's a yeah. huge difference of, of, of a need state for those two audiences. Obviously, Stern has a really nice model that works with the pro model being most likely all an operator needs to draw people in. 
the home collector likes more of the bells and whistles, more of the mechanisms. You yourself said you preferred Godzilla Premium. And that, that premium model, right, sort of like is, is designed to appease both or be that middle ground with the LE being for the high-end collector. As you see AP games moving forward, do you want to make them easier for operators? Will that be the classic edition? And are you going to have yep. more features in the deluxe edition? Absolutely. So the deluxe is a deluxe. The classic is going to be geared more to the operator, the street location. Here's the nice thing. I think about it. I found pinball machines in the wild, okay? I've always have, and I played them. That's how I learned all the titles and all the games that I played before even going to Expo, okay? And I love going to Expo because that's when I was introduced to games I had never seen because my operator wasn't carrying Capcom games or he wasn't carrying Elven Gs or, you know, whatever. So we had that chance to just enjoy finding new games and finding new worlds under glass, as it were. So, you know, the operator wants to put stuff out. And trust me, the operators are looking for machines. But they want machines that are out there that are going to last. Built like a tank, run, and they don't have to crack it open to fix it. So we have a game right now. Hot Wheels is out on location in uh, in a secret location from a, a big distributor in uh, in Maine. Okay, up in Massachusetts area. And it's doing really great. And I met with the uh, distributor, the guy who's the, the, the founding guy of the distribution. And I said, uh, so I see the, the coin, the, the, the cash box is doing really good. He says, you know what? I don't look at the cash box. This guy has been in the industry for like you know, 50 years. I said, you don't look at the cash box? He said, no, I look at the service report. I have to tell you, I haven't had to open the machine yet. And I love it. And that's why I'm carrying your game. Right. Because I didn't have to open it up. And if an operator doesn't have to open it up, guess what? That's more ROI return on investment. He just has to show up and collect it and wipe it down. Dave, talk to me about quality. And I've always said that American pinball quality is really one of the, the highlights that people have felt owning an AP game. Who makes your play fields? Because I want to start there because that's been the major topic I've been harping on is you got to get the foundation right and nobody wants to see a play field deteriorate. Who makes your guys play fields? It's Bader, Bader Cabinets. Okay. Um, they're the same ones that make Charlie's play fields actually. And seeing what's happening, right, you're witnessing a lot of people spend a lot of money. There's been issues with Jersey Jack games. Are you going to promote that more? I always feel like if Bader is making a play field, it's kind of like Intel inside. I would have that as the first line item of when you buy from us, you're going to get a bulletproof play field. Yep. And I said this before. I said to anybody ever has a problem with one of my play fields uh, that is falling apart, call me. I'll, I'll buy it back. I'll fix it. I'll do whatever I need to do to get it taken care of. Is there anything you want to ask me about the industry and my coverage of it or my coverage of AP? Uh, no. I mean, listen, you know, we're all big boys. We're all adults in the industry. I mean, it's not like you're doing something a little bit different. Okay. So, I mean, everybody has their slant. I know some people, you know, they're all like, oh my goodness, you're going on Canada. Oh man, he's going to, you know, and, and, and I'm like, no, he's, you know, we, we're all adults. We know how to, to have a conversation and talk about stuff. I saw that someone was saying that I threatened you to come on. Was it a threat? I thought it was a nice invitation. Oh, it, was a, it was an invitation. But you also threw out the invitation. So please, anybody who knows Dave Fix, please tell yeah. them that I would love to have him on the show. You know, that kind of thing. So I had gotten a few phone calls from some people going, you know, Chris is, Chris is asking for you to come on the show. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I, I know. 
Yeah, I've got this this I've got this crazy Facebook live following that that can go off and and do my random errands for me. Well, Dave, so we're gonna see a game this year. Will it be at Expo? Yeah, I'm shooting for it to be at Expo. Yeah. Now this is news because I don't think that anyone knows that yet. And I'm I, I'm gonna be at Expo. You're gonna be at Expo. The game is gonna be hopefully at Expo. Um, do you guys have a seminar or a panel discussion at Expo lined up? Yep, Thursday night. Thursday night, seven o'clock. Okay, so Thursday night, seven o'clock. I think I'm gonna have to fly in early and, and check it out because I was. <laughs> Let me ask you a question: Have you have you been to any expos? I, I've been to many expos. And how did I never meet you? I mean, I run the stupid thing with Rob Burke. I, I, I mean, it's kind of because I spend the whole show in the bathroom. No, the reason why. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I think that I've only been to. I think. I've been to two expos, but I think I've only been to one when I had my show. And, and that's when I think I had a little bit more exposure, if you will, in, in the hobby. But we're going to definitely hang out and have beers at this expo and, and, and just chat because I, I, I really look forward to just meeting folks like yourself and, and the fans. I mean, how hard has it been, right? Just the last two years, the community is really what makes this hobby so special. And I've been part of this community for a long time. You know, I've been doing expo we've been doing a lot of things and and that's that's the thing i'm bringing to american pinball and, and i didn't have to bring it hard was that we're a community of collectors who want to be there listen josh kugler designed his own game and he brought it as a homebrew way back when and then he got a job for american michael grant uh my sales guy he was a uh, a player out in uh, New England area and wanted to come in to be a sales guy for American Pinball. Dave Brennan, he's a tech guy who wanted to be my service rep. Uh, Dennis, he's been in pinball for a long time. I mean, there's a passion of the collectors and, and they want to bring, and that's what we're bringing together at American Pinball. Right. We're bringing people together that want to be there. It's not a paycheck. They're, they're trying to make this great world under glass. And is it going to be licensed or unlicensed? Well, it, it happens. Do you know what? Some of the, the designers love the idea of an unlicensed game because creativity runs crazy. You know, right. I know I know you guys are like, oh, did you see the last two games that were unlicensed? But really, were they? Think about this, Chris. And I'm not harping on anybody. And I'm not going to go into details on this. But ask yourself about those last two titles that were unlicensed. Were they games that were thirds or a continuation where they really totally all new story right and we're talking black knight and dialed in or am i missing yeah. one oh. okay but think about it if you, if you take dialed in you know i know a lot of people listen to that game and they were like okay that's what is that is that whirlwind is that Earthshaker? is that you know this is it, is it a culmination of these games i mean it, it feels a little bit like that. now grant granted all new graphics. I mean, they, they put in a lot of graphics. It looks like a beautiful game. And listen, I was at Expo when that was released. And there was 300 people. And I'm arranging this thing for, you know, Jack and saying, Jack, we're going to roll out the red carpet for you guys. And I will tell you that it, we got a little delayed because of somebody else's shenanigans, which delayed Jack getting in. And then Jack, we, we shoved everybody out. We said, we're going to make this your, your, your fun thing. We opened the door. We filled the room, 300 people. We released it. And listen, they had eight games there. People were playing it. There was line out the door. People were enjoying it. They, it, it, it was just a hit. And it just little by little, people, people, there are people out there who love Dialed In, loved it, 
and they, and they still do. And it still earns. You know, it's out on location. And there's people out there who love Black Knight Sword of Rage. I mean, it's the third one in the in the title. It has all new graphics. It had, I mean, Steve put a lot of time into that. So did Tim Sexton. They put a lot of time in developing the code and making that just really, really good. Okay? And they right. really gave it all, their all to it. But it was a, a continuation. Right. So I'm saying you come out with something that hasn't been thought of. You know, I mean, think about it. Mortal Kombat, when it came out, was there something that was close to Mortal Kombat? No, it was it was banned. I mean, do you remember all the problems Mortal Kombat caused in schools when it came out and teachers uh, petitioning and, and parents petitioning arcades to take Mortal Kombat out because it was too graphically violent? Well, everything has to have a beginning. Right. And I think that's the point you're making is even all the licenses we love at one point started as an original ip so talk to me about and i've, I've said this on the show before junior designer because mm-hmm. you mentioned steve ritchie and pat lawl are two icons icons with a huge pedigree in the industry that have a following how do you roll out a junior designer and i've been saying on my show uh dave that i wouldn't call anyone a junior designer they're still designers it feels like the jv team is it that or are you going to have these guys all on the same sort of plateau no and listen i just because i call them a junior designer does not mean that they're not a designer this is their bread and butter okay this means it's their first rollout okay i mean i think about it you you have keith elwin okay he brought this game to stern right it was um archer archer thank you and it was just and i played archer you know, I played Archer when it was still at Expo, you know, so it was this amazing game. They turned it into Iron Maiden. So, and this is the thing. We, we continue to support, and this is something I shared with Dennis, is I said, Dennis, you're not a young man. We need to support this hobby. We need to support this with younger people and share your knowledge. And he's all about it. So, you know, even though the next one is a junior designer, it doesn't mean they had meetings. They they did. And it wasn't like Dennis said, you have to change all that. No. He made the decisions. Dennis said, you could do this, you could do that. At the end of the day, that designer that wasn't Dennis had to make the final call. Okay. It, this was his vision. This is what he wanted to do. But it's his first game. And it's not the, J, it's, it's not the JV team. Right, it's, right. You know. How's Dennis doing? So obviously Dennis got out of Deep Root. He's the canary in the coal mine. And his Elvira is, people love Elvira. He's now over there. He's where his first game is licensed, correct? It is not. No. Oh, okay. Because, because we're, we're, here's the thing. His, his, his first game with us will not be licensed because it takes a year to get it. So he's literally working very hard on his game that he's bringing out, which is, you know, driving the team crazy, but that's okay. That creativity is, 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 is a gift. And then he's already working on the next. We already have the next four games kind of lined up. And then Dennis is already working on uh, a license, so he's got that. So we're working on things. We're just slowly bringing this together and uh, getting it there. And we have some surprises along the way, you know. So okay. it's going to be fun. And who's doing art direction? You mentioned that at the very beginning because I yeah. have said critically that I thought the biggest mistake with Houdini was they should have rolled with the Matt Andrews art package because that's the one thing J-Pop gave them on the Houdini was was a nice visual pop. I know they went more steampunk, but who's going to help make this company visually stand out, especially with like what Stern's got and Jersey Jack. These games now are more beautiful than they've ever been. So who's going to help you guys? It's it's Jack Hager. 
Jack Hager has been in the industry for a long time. Jack Hager was one of the founding um, founding art guys. Uh, he really worked on Mortal Kombat. He worked on a bunch of other games uh, at Williams. Has his work appeared on anything to date at AP? Nothing yet, no. Okay. He has not done any of the original three games. Okay. And is he working on the, the next title coming out? Yes. Okay. So this is going to be a big expo. So are you excited, David? Is there going to be a moment in which you pull the curtain off? How are you guys going to do this? Uh, you'll have to wait and see. Okay. <laughs> Because who knows? It might be before Expo. Oh. I don't know. You have to wait and see. You know, wow. we've only We're, got what three and a half weeks, so it's it's an exciting yeah, time. <laughs> well, let's, you know, think about it. Here, I'm also working for Expo, right? You know, I'm I'm, I'm the director of uh, the vendor hall. You know, I'm the vendor hall chairman. I, I sit on the board with Rob Burke, and we sit down, we figuring it out. I'm in meetings at night, and you know, my wife is like, "Who are you?" Kind of thing. I mean, you, you do all these podcasts. I'm sure your wife gives you a little grief too and saying, you know, you got to slow down a little bit, right? Does she give you that? Absolutely. Grief? Absolutely. So, you know, and, and we're, and we're passionate because we want to be about it. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing, right? Is, I mean, we all love pinball and I love doing this show and I love talking to, to folks like yourself, David. And, but it takes over for me. I mean, this is not my job. I mean, sometimes I wish it was. I have to go in and do a day job, <laughs> come home at night. My wife just put Killian to bed, and you might have heard him crying in the background yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah. and then I have to hop on a call with um, with Disney tonight to talk some business. So it it never stops, especially during COVID. So this is sort of like my escape or my retreat from you know the nonstop work that we're all sort of suffering through during COVID. David, this has been a great hour. I really do appreciate you coming on. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, the floor is yours. I just want to I just want to reiterate. And tell everybody that I'm a collector originally. We want to make American pinball favorable to everybody. I've said some things in the beginning. And one thing I want to do is I want to apologize uh, to some other uh, people in the industry that, you know, when you when you step into the role, you step on some toes. And I do apologize to anybody that I stepped on in their toes in the, when I first got on. You know, it's, it's kind of like I should have hit away and just quietly did things. But, you know, you have these podcasts and you talk, you know. It's like, you know, you're trying to make your point. And uh, now I'm kind of comfortable in that position. Many people know me. They think, you know, you know, I've known a lot of people in the industry and I've known a lot of people. And it's just like, listen, guys, we're, we're here. We're now going to start working on these games. We're, we, we, we've turned the ship for American Pinball. People are loving it. Uh, we want to support it 100% with the customers. And remember, we're all collectors, too. And, and there's a couple of questions I want to hit you with, Chris. Yeah, because, sure. You know, I, I get this. How many pins do you have? What was your first yeah. pin that you bought? Because yeah. I mean, you may have shared this yeah. with some other people, but no, I don't it's, know. So. It's, it's, no, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. So obviously, I haven't owned too many. So I've owned a Lord of the Rings, a Tales of the Arabian Nights, a Batman 66, super limited edition, which I sold a year or two too early because I would have made like 30 grand on it this year. Uh -huh. um, and I had a Magic Girl that was made by American Pinball. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that was a contract game. That was a yeah. contract. No, and that whole thing, I mean, it was Scott Goldberg, the whole like that note. I knew the game was not going to work when he sent out that press release saying, we built the game to John Papaduke's specifications. I'm like, oh, right there. It's not going to work. But I live in New York City. So your point of location versus collecting, and I have room for one game. I enjoy going out, though, and I can play almost every game at really good places like Jack Bar and Sunshine. And so I've, I've never felt like I need to bring everything 
into the house. Uh, that's my excuse, people, for having a one bedroom and, and not enough room. And my wife hearing me right now being like, do not say you're buying at these prices. So yeah, that's how many games I've owned. No, no, no. And you know what? I understand that. It's limitations. You know, I, I have a house with a basement because I live in Buffalo. I'm not living in New York City where rent is extremely high with a two-bedroom apartment and you have a kid, right? Yep. So, and I'm sure childcare is not cheap in New York City. Nope. Um, that, that can really kill into your pinball budget. Destroy. You know, that kind of thing. Yep, destroy it. Yeah, absolutely. So, I understand that. Um, did you ever get to go over to Modern Pinball? Yes. And play over there? Many times. What was it? How, were you always in the New York City area? Or yeah, I've lived here up? for 20 years, and I've went over to Modern a lot. And, you know, Modern was like a good place to just play the machines. I think where mm-hmm. Modern fell down a little bit in New York City is to have a successful location, you need to sell booze, and you need to have something else other than just pins, because it was like a showroom. They were sort of getting around. I think there was like a, a law where you have to pay taxes if, if you're actually operating the machines versus selling them as a showroom. But it's closed. It's sad. I mean, Modern's I now closed down. And and we lost Steve. He was a pillar of the of the community, a good friend. We'll miss him always. He's just a great, he was just a great guy. And before that, he had the Broadway Arcade. You know, I didn't yep. know if you had yep. any ties back to that far. And you were up in Yonkers, it sounds like, where you grew up. Nathan's on Central Avenue. I would just get in. A, my parents would let me take a taxi to go to the arcade. Wow. And I know. It was but, like when parents were, like, nervous. Cool. <laughs> yeah, they were cool. But they were also like, all right, if you're going to go anywhere and stay out of trouble, just, like, go to the arcade. You know, it was it was a safe place. Because we would just sit there all day long with, with 20 bucks and quarters and, and just play games and it was it was awesome i'm a huge gamer and i still play xbox and playstation and pinball so i i I have a variety of things i'm into and the reason i just like pinball the most though not only for the games being so unique but this community is just like it's so charged and heated and divided which kind of makes it interesting i've never seen a, a community where everyone loves something and hates it at the same time and just like debates it endlessly. And that makes for a good community to have a podcast where you have to do something new every week. Oh, yeah. It lends itself perfectly for a podcast because you never have information that you're not running into. Yeah. And people always react. Like it's it's a community that you say something and they people just react. And did you listen? What, what's the first pinball podcast that you listened to? Oh, that, Nate, Nate Shivers. Yeah. Coast oh, to Coast. Nate, yeah. He's yeah. a great guy. Yeah. Uh, Nate, I helped Nate out a little bit for coming to Expo. Uh, Nate was an amazing guy. I mean, he's in the Netherlands now. He was selling guitars back in the day, and he's just, you know, this this great guy. I remember Nate. Do you remember? It was So Nate was the only one. Did, was there any other podcast that you listened to? Did you ever listen to the guy's uh, Silver Ball podcast or even Clay Harold's uh, This Old Pinball? I didn't listen to This Old Pinball. I would listen to Nate. I would listen to, there's like an arcade room, Junkies, I think was one I yeah, listened to. Preston. Preston and um, I can't think of his name. I was yeah. actually on that show, believe it or not. Uh, I was. I had an episode where I was on that show. It was the number one download for all those who had insomnia. <laughs> they would download it, listen to me, and fall asleep within well, 30 seconds. Well, that's what Nate was for me because I used to grow up listening to sports radio to go to bed when I was a kid. And Nate has such a nice, soothing voice. And it was fun because you discovered a show like Nate's. And you might be new to pinball, and then you realize, oh, wow, he's got like a lot of shows, and I would just start from the beginning and just listen, and it's a great way to catch up on the hobby, and I loved it. And then 
obviously Todd Tucky. I love his content. And then John's Arcade. Like that that was like when you when you get into it, you just realize like there's so many passionate content creators and it's such a great way to to sort of get up to speed and, and, and nerd out with all these other nerds. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And, and and trust me, there's a lot of the guys that I still talk to that were on those podcasts. Uh, one of my good friends uh, was the Silverball podcast was Rob Craig. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had a, a good friend, Steve, who we lost to cancer a few years ago. Very sad. But um, Rob was uh, a great guy. And you know what? I used to work for a large financial company. Okay, And I used to sit and I would download podcast and listen to them while I'm doing audits on Capital One or Bank of America. And, and I'd be sitting in my office laughing and people would be like, you're doing an audit. How can you be laughing? I'm like, well, I'm listening to this guy talk about pinball and how he went out and, you know, he, whatever, you know, it's just yeah, kind of crazy. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on this show because this is the hardest one to join for some reason. And you see how it goes. It's just two guys talking pinball. I never understand the um, the hesitation to sit down with Canada. And I've tried to get other people on, you know, but all I can do is invite them. Absolutely. And you know what? You just keep you just keep inviting. Them. Just, just throw it out there. It's open. You can have a discussion. We can talk about stuff. We're all adults. Absolutely. Listen, we throw jabs at each other. At the end of the day, we're, we would sit back and have a beer at Expo or we talk about it. We're we're in we're doing something we love. It's a passion. It's a hobby. That kind of thing. And just remember that. I mean, there's some people that take this stuff a little too seriously. And it's like, listen, guys, you know, this at the end of the day, it's a box, two, right. two buttons, you know, a world under glass. It's designed for you to escape. Okay. <laughs> Right. The idea is, is I'm supposed to let you escape. There's a famous quotation from a guy by the name of Herb Jones who wrote about uh, about pinball. Okay, and it's all about him. You know, just we design these games so that you can escape into a fantasy and just forget about the craziness of the world. Have a beer, enjoy yourself, and and be there. Absolutely. And, and let me put it to you this: first. I want to I want to personally invite you if you want to come to. Uh, American Pinball, check out the, the place when you're in Chicago. Let's set that up. Anytime you're in Buffalo, and uh, I have a place here called Pocketeer Billiards, which has 80 pinball machines, and we continuously go through them, clean them, get them up and running. It's a, it has a beer. We have seven or eight beers on tap. Let me know if you're in the Western New York area. I hope you bet on the Bills last week. Yeah, no, you're killing me because I was just saying, like, your football team is amazing, and they, <laughs> they keep covering and then some. I mean, it was 17 and a half points, and they blew by that spread. And I bet on Brady last night, and again, he doesn't cover again. Well, Dave, I will absolutely take you up on the AP tour. I'm going to be out in Chicago for Expo. I might be out a, a day or two early. I might be visiting a friend at work there. So I will we'll connect and we will absolutely connect at Expo. And I will do my best to make it up north for um, for for Buffalo, some pinball, some wings and some beer. So that's that's a guaranteed Canada visits in the books. Okay. Sounds good, Chris. All right. Sounds really good. Take care and thanks for having me on. And I hope your your listeners enjoyed this. Yes, absolutely, David. Thank you so much, and this was a pleasure. Take care. <laughs>